Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Sutton service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. We started a series um, at the beginning of the year in the New Testament letter 1 Peter, which has been looking at our identity as followers of Jesus. What does the Bible say about who we really are? And the topic for today is what does it mean for you and I to be free? If we're supposedly free, what exactly does that look like? Uh, The New Testament letter, uh, Galatians, uh, has a very famous verse in it, chapter 5 and verse 1. It says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So in other words, if you are a follower of Jesus, not only are you supposedly free, but that is also Jesus' intention for us. But what exactly does it look like for you and I to be free. Well, let's start by reading the passage and seeing what we can learn. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 11, and the word should be on the screen for you to follow along. Uh, this is what Peter writes. He says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Here endeth the reading. Well, um, if you are anything like me, at a casual listen... Those verses make me feel anything but free. It talks about abstaining from sinful desires. So there's desires I've got, there's things I want to do, and oh, I can't do them, I've got to abstain. That doesn't feel very free. It talks about submitting to authority. Well, I don't really want to submit to authority the whole time. Why do I have to do that? How am I really free? And then the greatest paradox of all, the last four words, live as God's slaves. How on earth does this speak of our freedom? If you and I really are free, why do we need to abstain or submit or live as a slave? Uh, Some of you will know of the atheist existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre. Uh, If he were alive today, he would argue this, that uh, if God is real, if such a thing as God exists, it is absolutely impossible for you and I to be free. Why? Because God sees all, he knows all, he's there judging us the whole time. Like, how on earth is that freedom? Uh, Woody Allen would agree with him. Uh, In his movie, Crimes and Misdemeanors, he actually paints God as this big cosmic eye in the sky who's watching our every move. He's watching every single thing that we do, he's judging everything, which means you and I don't feel any freedom at all. Uh, Now, as a small aside, because I find this kind of stuff uh, interesting, uh, there is a whole load of evidence that this whole idea of God does shape our behavior in in positive ways. Uh, There's been a whole load of really interesting research on this. Uh, One experiment where they were looking at kids as they were trick-or-treating. And as they went up to the front door of different people's houses, there was this big bowl of sweets and a sign which said, you may only take one sweet. Well, if you've got kids like mine, that's like a red rag to a bull. But on some of these signs, they painted these big eyes as, they were, as if they were watching the kids every move. Uh, sure enough, whenever there was a pair of eyes, as if they were watching the kids, the kids were way, way, way more likely to obey the rule. 
Uh, Joy and I are thinking of getting a few posters uh, made for our home, just to see if it makes any difference at all. Uh, but this has been replicated in a whole load of different ways. Thefts drop when there's a sign with some eyes watching us. Uh, even like minor uh, infractions, like cleaning up your dinner in a refectory. If there's a sign saying, please clean up, and a pair of eyes watching us, we're way more likely to obey. Is this what God is like? Is God just there to like monitor our behavior the whole time? And if he is like that, how on earth are you and I free? Uh, the famous atheist Christopher Hitchens would agree with this idea of God. Uh, he, in my opinion, seemed like a thoroughly lovely man, had the most amazing voice. I really wish I could have met him. He said this, the discovery there is no God is a great relief. Because if there were, it would be like living in a celestial North Korea. You would never be able to escape. If all of this is true, then the Christian faith seems like the arch enemy of freedom. Is this what the Christian faith is like? And I would actually go further to suggest there's now like a narrative in the West. It's like a baseline cultural narrative that if you and I really want to be free, we have to throw off all ideas of God. We have to throw off all rules and regulations so we can then be free to do whatever we want to do. Is that freedom? Well, hey, uh, this is church and I'm a pastor. So it won't surprise you to know that I'm going to argue, no, that's not what freedom is like. And before I unpack what I think real freedom looks like for you and I, I want to take a few minutes to deconstruct the whole modern idea of freedom because I've got a number of problems with it. And I want to take these in ascending order. I'll do the briefest first. Here's my first problem with the modern idea of freedom, that we should be free to do whatever we want to do, and it's this. There is a staggering lack of vision for what the true free life looks like. In other words, whenever I hear people talking about freedom, it's all about throwing off restraints, throwing off ideas of God, throwing off rules and regulations, because then you're free to do what? What then? I have read a lot on this subject, and I am yet to find a compelling secular vision for the free life. In other words, it's all about freedom from stuff rather than freedom for stuff. You know, if such a thing as freedom exists, if freedom is a real thing, there's surely got to be more to it than that. My second problem with the modern idea of freedom, and this one is a little longer, it is impossibly individualistic. It kind of fits the culture of the age, and it disconnects us in particular from the created world, from community, and from what I would call the transcendent. And I want to take each of these in turn. Firstly, Modern idea of freedom disconnects us from the created world. Let me give you a silly example to try and explain this. Imagine I said to you, hey, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. And so therefore, I will consume as many products with as much plastic in as I want, thank you very much. No one's going to tell me to recycle. What a load of rubbish all that is. No, I'm free to do what I want to do. I'm never going to recycle ever again. Well, if you and I live that way, we will end up damaging the planet. And in due course, the planet will end up damaging us and therefore restricting our freedoms because the stuff happens that we cannot control. In other words, for millennia, there's been this inherent understanding in humanity that there is a certain givenness to the world in which we live. And if we want to live the freest possible life, we have to abide by that givenness in order to enjoy the maximum possible freedom. And all modern narratives around freedom ignore this completely. So firstly, uh, the modern idea of freedom, it disconnects us from the created world. Secondly, it disconnects us from community. Uh, let me give you another really uh, silly example to try and explain this. Imagine I go home later on today and say, hey, Joy, I'm going to go out tonight because I'm free. 
I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to go to the club, the club, the club. I'm going out tonight. Um, some of you are thinking, what is he doing? Um, I apologize for what I've just done. Um, firstly, Joy would burst out laughing. And she'd be like, the club, huh? Is that chess club again? Is that, is that where you're going? Um, but then she'd probably be like, well, that's not really convenient for me. Now, I've got the kids to look after. There's household chores to do. There's church responsibilities. But no, Joy, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. If anyone keeps living that way in any relationship, ultimately the other person will end up saying, you know what, I think we need to break up. Because that's actually an abusive relationship. And it doesn't just happen with individuals, it happens in communities as well. Another really silly example. Imagine if I said, hey, Christchurch London, we're going to start doing things my way. Because I am free to do whatever I want to do. From now on, we are only going to sing songs from the 1980s. Because we're free. Wow. Hey, we should form a small group. Come on. Yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. Like, we never had bridges in the 1980s. We didn't know what a bridge was in those days. Simple chorus, sing it a thousand times, and it's still meaningful. Love it. Well, at least some of you will be like, you know what? I think we need to find a new church. And then we just have the, the pure ones left at the end. Okay? In other words, sorry to break this to you, but I am connected to you. And you are connected to me. And all modern narratives around freedom ignore the connection that we have with more than another. And I would actually go as far to say this, and there's a chance this might ruffle some feathers, I don't think it will in this crowd. But I would say this, if anybody lives by the modern narrative around freedom, that I'm free to do whatever I want to do, you will never truly know what it is to be in a loving relationship. If you live by the modern narrative around freedom, you will not know love. Modern talk of freedom just ignores this completely. So we're disconnected from the created world, we are disconnected from community, and then thirdly, we are disconnected from the transcendent. And I need to take a few minutes to try and explain what I mean by this. Uh, I want to take a moment to distinguish between what I would call the law of the traffic versus the law of the fire. Okay? Law of the traffic versus law of the fire. Let me explain what I mean. Firstly, law of the traffic. If I asked you, how uh, fast can you drive on the motorway in the UK right now, uh, you would all say probably 70 miles an hour. That would be the correct answer. Only sometimes, if there's roadworks, there's 50 miles an hour. Uh, David Akin-Louis is laughing. I think that's because you drive faster than 70 miles an hour. Is that true? No? Um, if there's a nasty accident, it might be 30 miles an hour. On the continent, it's 80 kilometers an hour. In other words, it's a situational rule and regulation for a particular time and a particular place. It is not binding for all time. It is a temporary moment in time that this law applies. It's a traffic law. And to be clear, the Bible is filled with traffic laws. Things that are not binding for all time, but are for a particular moment in the story, usually actually to keep people safe. Let me give you an example. There is a radio presenter in the UK that I won't name, but they really get on my nerves. Because whenever a Christian calls up, uh, they hit them over the head with the same argument. Oh, um, do you believe the Bible, Mr. or Mrs. Christian? And Christian will usually say, yes, I do. Oh, then do you believe that um, you, you're not really allowed to wear clothes made of two different kinds of material, uh, wool and linen? There's a law in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that says that. And they'll say, well, 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 no, I don't really believe that. Oh, well, then you don't really believe the Bible, do you? Ha! And whenever I hear that argument, I literally, if I'm in the car, I hit the steering wheel in frustration. I'm like, no! It's a traffic law. It's for a temporary moment in the story. It's not binding for all time. 
like, and, and, as an aside, if you read the Old Testament, the clothes of the high priest were made of two different kinds of material, wool and linen, the very things that are banned in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And a whole load of theologians think one of the reasons that rule is actually in place is to distinguish the holiness of the high priest who can approach God from everybody else who can't approach God. They have to go through a priest. And so by the very clothes that you wear, you are reminded, I'm not good enough to approach God. And then in the story, Jesus comes along and changes everything. And through our great high priest, we can now all boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. It's just a traffic law, and the Bible is filled with them. But then, there is also the law of the fire. And the law of the fire says this, if I put my hand into fire, oh, ouch, it burns. Now, just imagine all of the governments in all of the world got together and said, hey, from now on, fire will no longer burn. Yay! The very first person who puts their hand in fire is going to realize that earthly power is very limited. In other words, there's nothing we can do to change certain laws. Now, let's just suppose for a moment God really exists. Let's just suppose that he really is real. Could it be that there are fire laws, so to speak, in place that are to do with things like the way we do relationships? Faithfulness, generosity, kindness, justice, things that are actually binding for all time. Well, the Bible would say yes. And if you violate those, you will get burnt by them. And therefore, if you want to live a truly free life, well, then you're going to have to abide by what I would call these transcendent laws. Because if you don't, you're going to end up seeing your freedom restricted. So my critique of the modern idea of freedom, firstly, there's no vision for what real freedom looks like. Secondly, it's impossibly individualistic and disconnects us from the created world, from the communities in which we live, and from the transcendent. And then my third issue, and this is the last uh, issue, with the modern narrative around freedom is this. By its definition, there is not a single person that is free. You are not free. I am not free. Uh, some of you may have seen um, the movie Calvary with uh, Brendan Gleeson. And uh, in the movie, he plays a Catholic priest. Uh, this here is his daughter. And there's a point in the movie where his daughter comes to him with what I would call the classic like, narrative around freedom. She says this to him. Uh, my life is my own. I belong to myself. My life belongs to nobody else. And Brendan Gleeson just looks at her and he says this, true. False. And he's not being double-minded. What he's saying is this, that there's a level to which that kind of worldview works, but ultimately that worldview totally fails. Let me explain uh, what I mean by this. Another really silly example. Imagine I, I said to you, hey, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. So I'm going to eat whatever I want, when I want, how I want. Forget all this vegan and vegetarian nonsense. Forget all these warnings about diabetes, sugar, cake, biscuits, treats, the whole time. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to eat to my heart's content. What's going to happen? Well, firstly, the effects of living that way will be shown in my body. Joy would say, Andy, it's already begun, uh, my friend. Uh, let's not go there. Hide behind the lectern, just in case you start looking. And secondly, ultimately, a doctor will come to me and say this, Andy, you're going to have to have a choice to make. And the choice is this, being free to eat whatever you want to eat 
and actually being free to live a long and hopefully happy and healthy life. In other words, what I'm saying is this. There is no such thing as freedom. There are freedoms, plural. And it is the job of every single person in this room to distinguish which are the enslaving freedoms and which are the ones that actually lead to real, lasting liberty. And you and I do this unconsciously every single day. I'll give you an example. What are you going to do tomorrow morning? Care for the kids? Work? Now, if, I, if I wake up tomorrow morning and think, you know what, I'm, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to lie in bed all day long and watch Lord of the Rings reruns. Like That's, that's the dream. I'm going to do that every day. If I live with that kind of freedom, I'm very soon going to find that I'm going to lose a few other freedoms. There is no such thing as freedom. There are freedoms, plural, and every single person in this room, we've all got to work out which ones lead to real freedom and which ones actually enslave us. So my problem with the modern narrative around freedom, we're free to do whatever we want. There's no vision for the free life. Secondly, it's impossibly individualistic. It's not possible to live with that freedom. And thirdly, by its definition, no one here is free. And so, of course, this leads to the big question. How, then, do you and I get free? How do you and I find real, lasting freedom? Here is the answer, as simply as I can put it, and it's this, love. Love, 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 love. That is where I find freedom. Let me explain uh, what I mean by this. There's a brilliant uh, illustration by a guy called Tim Keller, who's an author, a former church leader uh, in uh, New York. Uh, he's helped me a lot over the years with thinking around freedom. If there's anything good in this talk, it's probably his work rather than mine, just to give credit where it's due. But he gives a really great illustration uh, around the TV series Downton Abbey. Uh, if, you've, if you've seen it, you'll know it's a TV series based in a stately home uh, in England. And the family live upstairs, and all the servants live downstairs. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment um, that I am the Earl of Grantham, that I am Lord Downton. And uh, I want you to imagine uh, that David Stroud, who leads Christchurch, is Carson the butler, okay? Um, this is a fantasy I've been longing to talk about for some time, okay? Now, Carson and I, we might have an amazing relationship. Now, we might have really fantastic conversations, you know, as he's cooking me venison or making me scones or polishing my shoes. But at the end of the day, I am his boss and he is my servant. And if he does not obey the rules of the house, he's out. I'm, I'm feeling drunk on power right now. Okay, that, that's servitude. And this is where religion often gets this wrong. Because many people think this is what religion is like, that God lives upstairs and you and I live downstairs. And as long as I obey the rules of the house, as long as I read my scriptures and pray my prayers and give my money and serve other people, then I can stay in the house. But the moment I disobey the rules, uh, I'm out of the house. That's servitude. That's religion. That's not the Christian faith. But just as an aside here, if anybody is listening to this or anybody watching on Zoom and you'd say, look, I'm not sure I have faith right now, I'm not sure I believe in God. I'm still trying to figure things out. You are in exactly the same boat. And let me explain why. Because if you don't believe in God, you will be living for something else. 
the Bible calls it idolatry. You might not put that language to it, but you'll be living to, for, for something else. And whatever it is you are living for will keep you living downstairs as they live upstairs. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. Popularity. You might say, hey, I'm, I'm free to be as popular as I want. That, that's what I'm shooting for. More followers on Twitter, more friends on Facebook, fame and glory, that's what I'm living for. Well, you are free to be as popular as you want, but only as long as you obey the rules of popularity. The moment you disobey the rules of popularity, you are out of the house. Popularity lives upstairs, you and I live downstairs. It's just another form of slavery. Let me give you another example, money. You and I might say, hey, I'm free to be as rich as I possibly want to be. Now, this illustration doesn't perfectly work because it implies that wealth is simply a product of our effort and it's more complicated than that, but just stick with it for now. If I say, hey, I'm, I'm free to be as rich as I want to be, I, I'm only free to be as rich as I want as long as I obey the rules of money. If I lie in bed all day, every day this week watching Lord of the Rings reruns, if I disobey the rules of the house, I am out of the house. Money live upstairs, you and I live downstairs. Whatever it is we are living for will only keep us in the house as long as we obey the rules of the house. So how do we find freedom? What on earth do we do? Here's the answer the Christian faith gives. It's this. Jesus invites us to live upstairs. Jesus calls us to be part of the family. That's the answer. He says, I'm going to make you a son. I'm going to make you a daughter. Come live upstairs. Uh, Jesus puts it like this. John chapter 8, verses 35 and 36. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So if I mess up, if I fall short, if I forget to read my Bible and pray and do the things that Jesus says, this is what leads to the free life, hey, I'm still part of the family. You know, if, if my kids mess up at home, I'm an imperfect, broken dad, but I'm not like, get out of the house. In fact, sometimes if they're naughty, it makes me more attentive as a father. How much more our loving Father in heaven? This is why I think Romans speaks of the glorious freedom of the children of God. How do we find freedom? We get to live upstairs in Downton Abbey. Now, there's a small caveat to this whole metaphor. Because in this metaphor, God still lives upstairs. And he's got all the freedom and all the power. Does this mean this is an exploitative relationship? Well, in any other worldview, yes, but not with the Christian faith. And here's the reason why. It's because of the cross. It's because Jesus comes and lives downstairs. You see, I have done, to keep with this metaphor, inherent damage to the fabric of Downton Abbey. I've damaged the relationships within it, and I've damaged myself, and I don't have enough money to pay the bill. I can't fix it. What does Jesus do? You come live upstairs, be part of the family. I will go downstairs to pay the bill. I'm, I'm going to lay down my life. He's got all the freedom and all the power, and he goes to the cross. How's that for giving up your freedom? He is the only God in any worldview, religious or otherwise, who says, I will change for you. I will adjust for you. Because of the cross, you and I can come and live upstairs in Downton Abbey so we can enjoy the glorious freedom of being his children. And so herein lies the $64 billion question. 
how do I go and live upstairs? What do I have to do to respond to the invitation to be part of the family of God? And here is the paradoxical answer. It is this, I lay down my freedom. That's how I become part of the family. I lay down my freedom. Now, I mentioned um, Alcoholics Anonymous earlier. I'm sure you're all familiar with um, the 12 steps of AA. Uh, it's helped millions and millions of people around the world find freedom. And as I said earlier, our steps course is based on that. And if you've got like, habits that you want to break, the stuff in your life you want to get free from, I really commend it to you. Um, the in intro course is coming up in a few weeks' time. All the information is on our website. Now, here's the question. In which of the 12 steps does it say, now try really hard not to drink, will you? Just, just stop drinking. J just make a decision. Don't drink anymore. Well, of course, none of them. In other words, the most powerful tool against the most powerful slavery is this, to surrender our will. To lay down our freedom. The first three steps of AA say this. Step one, we realized we were powerless. Our lives were unmanageable. I can't fix this. Step two, I came to believe a power greater than myself could restore me. Step three, we made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God. How do I find real freedom? I lay down my freedom and step into the family of God. So I can enjoy the glorious freedom of being his son. That's how we find freedom, in a loving relationship. You know, I, I see this in the relationship with my kids. You know, as many of you who are parents will know, when you have children, it is all give and no take. You know, you clean and you wash and you dress and you burp and then you do it all over again and all over again. And like, they give nothing. You, give, you lay down your freedom and you give everything. But then what happens? They give you a little, <laughs> and you're like, I'm in love. I'll do it all over again. Like, that's the fruit that laying down your freedom gives. And it is amazing to watch the freedom laying down your life produces in other people. Let me give you another, like, really silly example. Um, when my kids were younger, uh, we kind of lived on, on top of a hill, and they could see me walking up the hill back from work. And whenever they saw me walking up the hill, like, like my kids would run to the door, Joy would open the door, and they would run down the hill, arms wide, to greet me and give me the biggest hug ever. It's the closest I've ever been to being a celebrity. It's amazing. Well, there was one day when um, I actually came home from work a bit earlier. Joy had just given me a, a bath. She was in the bedroom. She was totally naked. Knock at the door. It's one of the neighbours. So Joy leaves me naked in the bedroom. Goes downstairs, answers the door. Neighbours are there. Goes out for a friendly chat on the driveway. So Mia is naked in our bedroom. She looks out the window. She sees Daddy coming home from work. She's about three years old. She runs down the stairs. The front door's open. Where hey? She runs naked onto the street. Neighbours are there. Friends are there. She sees everyone and just does this. My daddy loves me! And then runs to give me the biggest hug ever. That is freedom. That is freedom. Now, just to be clear, guys, to pass to you well, this is just a metaphor, okay? We don't want anyone doing this. That's not exactly the kind of freedom we're going for, but it's not actually that far off. Here's, here's the reason. In my opinion, I am the most broken person in this room right now. And if you haven't discovered them yet, there are a million faults with this church. And those are just the ones I know about. But you know what? My daddy loves me. And he sees me in all my brokenness, 
all the mistakes I make, all the, all the things I don't get to. And he's like, I just love you so much. So I get to enjoy the glorious freedom of being his child. That's freedom. It's love. It's a perfect, loving relationship with God. And here's the final twist. As I lay down my freedom and enjoy receiving the glorious love of God, which just changes everything, I can then be a bringer of freedom to the world roundabout. Galatians 5 puts it like this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. All those rules and regulations in the Old Testament is just summed up by this love. And it leads freedom to others. That's why 1 Peter chapter 2, it talks about submitting to authority and abstaining from sinful desires and living as God's slave. Why? Because the heart of sin is self. Sin turns us inward. God turns us outward. Not only so we can enjoy his glorious freedom, but so we can be bringers of freedom to others. This is where freedom is found. And so here's how I want to finish. Uh, Maybe I can invite the band up, actually. I want to ask you one of three questions. Firstly, uh, I just wonder, is there anyone here And you just need to know this morning, your daddy loves you. This isn't particularly profound, but my hunch is probably there are some people here and you have an inner voice that puts you down the whole time. And it says you're not good enough, reminds you of your faults, makes you feel worthless. It's time to know this morning your daddy loves you. He sees you naked and he loves you so much. Second question. Is there anyone here and you need to lay down your freedom? There's habits you can't break. There's issues that you feel like are keeping you enslaved and it's like, okay, I need to come clean. I need to get naked before God, so to speak. I need to confess. Maybe you need to sign up for the steps course. Maybe it's time to stop living as a slave and to come and live as a son or a daughter. And then thirdly, and I I really do believe this, not just for individuals, I believe this for our community. I believe there is a particular call on some people here to be a bringer of freedom to other people. You know your daddy loves you. Uh, You're enjoying the freedom that he offers, but there is a particular call on you to help others find freedom. I believe that's actually a call on our community. That we are to be a community where many people realize, oh, the glorious freedom of being a child of God. But I just wonder whether there's some people here and you just, you know it in here. Like, this is what I'm particularly called to do. Can I just invite you to stand for a moment? Would that be okay? I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come now. Let's just pray. Come Holy Spirit now. Come Holy Spirit. Now just hear the whisper of Jesus now. I love you so much. I love you so much. I see you, warts and all, 
and I love you. Father, I want to pray that the love of God would not be something we think we know about, but may we experience it in this room right now. May freedom come. Oh, may freedom come. I want to pray where there may be people listening to this talk and you you just know there's things that are enslaving me. I just want to pray this morning would feel like a line in the sand. I'm not living as a slave anymore. I am laying down my freedom. I'm living as a child, not a servant now. And I want to pray for a fresh sense of call from God upon us corporately, but on many individuals here, to be bringers of freedom. Even as I say that, I just pray people would come to mind. I'm to start there. I'm to start with that person. I'm to see it break out in this situation. Come, Holy Spirit. Now just keep engaging with God. Let's just use this song now as an opportunity for us personally to respond to.